I'm going to do your Bible reading. Thank you, John Nixon. Good man, Ronnie. We are reading from James. <laughs> what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have, does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and scripture was fulfilled. The scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person just is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Amen. Thanks, Emily. Reading there, thank you. Uh, I'm going to preach today. <laughs> Couldn't help it, sorry. Uh, right, good work. We are in James chapter 2 uh, today. Let me just, I want to say something before we get going into James today, in that we believe in Cornerstone that uh, God is sovereign over all things, right? So what that means basically is God is in control of everything. But when I come back from sabbatical, we were coming out of the, the gospel of John and Literally, my idea was, right, okay, when it comes to preaching three books of the Bible, I'll be like, what we'll do next? We'll just pick one, because it's all good, and we'll just pick one. So we, I picked James. But over the last few weeks especially, it's just become really apparent to me that we couldn't be in a more apt book at the moment with, with all that's going on in the world. We are constantly hearing of uh, the cost of living price you know, increase and, and everything, and everybody's being stretched. Uh, the poor are getting poorer, uh, and you know, it's just it's a, it's a, and it's an incredibly apt book, I think, to be in at the minute for us as a church. So God is sovereign over all things, and He has us here in James for a purpose. Let's begin this morning with a question, and it's this: Who of us who has ever had, for example, maybe a sore head or an ailment of some sort? that has required uh, medicine or, or tablets or something along those lines. Who of us who has ever had that? I'm quite slow when it comes to these things. I'll always be like, I have a sore head, what do I do? Uh, and some of our GP folk in Cornerstone will be like, take a tablet, John. That's what you do. But so who of us who has ever had an ailment of that sort or, or, or needed tablets or needed medicine or whatever, has went to the cupboard or the drawer, wherever it may be in your house, because I guarantee you there is one, there is a designated cupboard or drawer in your house where the medicine is kept. So who has went to that place and went to the cupboard and took out 
the, the medicine or the tablets and went straight to the back of the packet and started to read the ingredients of what's in there. And you've read the ingredients and you're like, right, okay, I fully believe what's in here. I believe it. He says on the packet, I believe it. Who of us has, have went to the cupboard and, and took a medicine down? And we've saw, we've, we've literally read how to take it, the appropriate dose and everything. And for, if you're a certain age, you take it like this, and you take so many, and blah, blah, blah. And you say to yourself, right, okay, I, I totally believe that. I get that. That makes perfect sense. I, I believe it. I believe what it says. I believe that if I take it in this way, that it's prescribed, it will cure me. I will no longer have this ailment. I believe it. I'm all in. I'm all in. I believe. And then at that point, we have taken the tablets or the medicine and placed it back in the cupboard or the shelf, or the drawer. You see, the medicine or the tablets or whatever it is will only work if we take action. It'll only work if we actually take the stuff. If we put that belief that we have on what it says in the, on the packet, if, if we, it only works if we put that belief that we say, we, we exercise that belief and that faith, and we take the medicine. James is going to tell us today that it's exactly the same with our faith. We can say we believe all we want, but if we don't put that faith into action, then James will tell us that we don't really believe at all. Unless we put it into action, we don't really believe at all. Look with me there at verse 14. He says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister who is poorly clothed or lacking in daily food, and one of you, and one of you says to him, Go and peace be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And also faith by itself, if it, do, if it does not have works, is dead. Right couple of things we need to clarify and a couple of things that are important to point out before we launch into this text today. One is this, the tone of which James writes. The tone of which James writes. How does he start? What good is it, my brothers? He's writing in a familial tone, in a pastoral tone. He's not just criticizing for criticism's sake. He's not just bashing these poor believers in the church over the head. That's not what he's doing. He loves this church. He loves the people that he's writing to, and so he wants to communicate something that's really important to them. But in doing that, he's going to have to ask hard questions. But he's writing in a pastoral tone. And that's really important as we go through today to remember that. He's writing in a pastoral tone, and I am going to endeavor to speak in a pastoral tone to you guys today. He's asking difficult questions, sometimes stinging questions, but it's a pastor's letter with a pastor's heart through a pastor's tone. The other thing that we need to point out very, very clearly and very, very uh, just crystal, we need to be crystal clear on this, is James is not teaching us that we are saved by good works. He's not teaching that. 
And I need to be extremely clear on that. We're getting into the heart of this letter now. And what we see is James opposes false faith and false works just as much as each other. Back in chapter 1, verse 6, we remember he says, Let him ask without doubting, for the man who doubts should not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. So, so he's criticizing false faith as much as he's criticizing false works. He's just saying all of, anything that's false is of no worth. But he's certainly not teaching that we're saved by good works. He has told us already that we are saved by faith and faith alone. Throughout the New Testament, throughout the Old Testament, this is consistent. James is not saying anything new. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And James is no exception to this. Remember a few weeks ago, I, I, I sort of mentioned in passing that Martin Luther, it is, it is well known that Martin Luther, uh, one of the reformers, had, a, had an issue with the book of James in that he called it the epistle of straw. Now, why he called it the epistle of straw, there's some writings which suggest that, that, that Martin Luther would like uh, James to be removed from the Bible altogether. He felt this strongly about it. But his problem with it was that it was that, that it, about what it says here about faith alone without works is dead. And so he was, he was concerned for people that they would become confused. Uh, obviously, Martin Luther was opposing uh, a, a, a works-based salvation. And he was concerned uh, that people would become confused, that they would be justified by works alone. And so he called it the epistle of straw. That's not what he's teaching. In verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 21, he said, Receive with meekness the implanted word that is able to save you. So James's message is completely consistent with both the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's saying that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Let's be abundantly crystal clear about that. So what is James telling us? Well, he couldn't be clearer. In verse 14, he starts out, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Some versions put it like this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have the kind of faith that produces works? Which is actually a really good translation. It says you must have both. One shows itself in the other. So there's, there's, a, there's a point behind these questions, and the point behind these questions to the church that he writes to and to us is to stop and ask ourselves a question. This, and simply this. Do you have real faith? Do I have real faith? That's the question that James wants this church to ask themselves, and that's the question that he wants us to ask ourselves. Do we have the kind of faith that saves? Because the kind of faith that saves will produce good works. The kind of faith that doesn't save is the one that does not produce good works. So keep that in mind. Keep those thing, few things in mind as we go through this passage today and as we go through everything that we'll go through today. Keep those few things in mind. James is writing in a pastoral tone. He's not writing to uh, batter people over the head or, or, or guilt them into anything. He's writing in a pastoral tone. He, he's reminding us actually that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. He's not saying that we're saved by, by good works. 
And he wants to ask us the question, do we have real faith? James returns to the example of the poor person. Last week, if you can remember at the beginning of, of, of chapter 2, he gave us this illustration. He loves a good old illustration, does James. And he gave us the illustration of the poor person coming into the gathering. Just like this, just, just as we are, he gave us the illustration of someone who was poor coming in, someone who was rich who was coming in, and we said to the rich person, sit there in a nice place, and the poor person sit there in a poor spot. And he gives us that illustration. And today he's going to give us another illustration using the poor. And he says... Here's a poor person who comes into the church with, with, with having nothing, more or less. Nothing. This poor person comes in who lacks the basic necessities of life, right? And I made it, I, well, I said I could have made a joke in the first service about the bare necessities, but I refrained, which was very good for me. Uh, but this person comes in and they have nothing. Now, we need to translate ourselves from that context to this context, because when we hear that the poor person comes in and is struggling, what sometimes we can hear is that this person comes in and they're maybe struggling to pay the electric bill. Or maybe even they're struggling to come up with the funds to, to pay the sky bill. That's not what James is talking about here. James is talking about someone who is coming in to the church nothing. They have the clothes on their back and they have nothing else. They don't have the food they will require for the day. They're coming in with nothing. Something else to note really importantly, how does he say, who does he say they are? If a brother or sister comes in poorly clothed and lacking the basic necessities, who's he saying they are? He's saying they are followers of Christ. He's using that familial term again, brothers or sisters. So he's saying the picture that he gives us is that someone who is a follower of Jesus comes into the church lacking the basic necessities of life. They have the clothes they have on their back. They have no food and they ask for help. That's the picture that he gives us. They ask for help. Something I want to say about this. It is essential. It is essential and good that the church of Jesus Christ look after everyone. Right? Everyone. It is good and it is, necess it is necessary that we look after and care for everyone who is in the world. Simple. But the Bible makes it explicitly clear that we are to have a special concern for those who are part of the body of Christ. It, it, it's just explicit. And so that you know, I'm not making it up. Let me Bible it. Let me real life Bible here and, and show you where this is. Galatians 6 verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Right? There it is. There's Let's do good to everyone. Let's look after everyone. Let's care for everyone. And especially those who are of the household of faith. So there we have it. Bible. 
Now, you can disagree with me if you want, or you can agree with me if you want, but I'm just saying it's in the Bible. We are to have a special concern, especially those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. So here we have, and James backs this up by this illustration. He's backing that up. He's saying there's a brother or sister of Christ comes into the church and, and, and they've nothing. That's the illustration that he gives us. And what he's doing in this illustration, as he's done in other, the other illustration of the poor man coming in and getting the, the rubbish seat, what he's doing is this church has actually carried this out. Look at what they do. If a brother or sister who is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Basically, what they're saying is, listen, real life example, somebody comes in here, nothing, says we need help. That's like us saying, do you know what? I'll pray for you. Do you know what use that is if we don't give them what they need? It is useless. Useless. It's like saying, may God help you because I certainly won't. That's how harsh this is. That's the force of what is being said to these poor believers. And James says, and he opens, it, and he opens this section and he closes this section with this. What good is that? If you say your faith, if you say go and be warm, be filled, and you do nothing, it's meaningless, absolutely meaningless. And so what we need to see as we look at this here and we look at James and what he's doing and what the rest of the Bible does is this. James, Paul, Jesus says this. He says, if you want to check if you have real faith, ask yourself this question. How do you think and what do you do with the poor? How do you think about them and what do you do with them? James is saying any part of real gospel living and gospel ministry must be concerned with the poor. says, do you want to know how you have real faith? How do you think about the poor? What do we do for the poor? And I've said it before, I've used the, the statistic before, but uh, I want us to, to remind ourselves because we need to. If we're in the, if, we, if, if any of us are receiving or have uh, the, the, like the average income in Northern Ireland, we are in the top, I think, 2% of the wealthy people in the world. It's just fact. It's crazy. How do we think about the poor? What do we do with the poor? That's the test. See, that, that's the test that James gives us. Now, let me put this in real terms for us as a church. And this is not, seriously, I'm, I'm, I need to say it, it is not to guilt us. It's not. These are just facts. It's not to guilt us. 
James doesn't want to beat people over the head. He's talking in a pastoral nature, pastoral tone. I'm hopefully going to do the same. It's not to beat us over the head. It's not to put us in a hole that we can't get out of or whatever. But I want to put it in real terms for us as a church. We have two ministries in Cornerstone Church that are, that are our official ministries to the poor, right? CAP, Christians Against Poverty, and our food bank. Those are our two official ministries to the poor. And there has been an appeal made over the last few weeks for food for the food bank, the well. Uh, it's been consistent. There's been an appeal uh, for food because there's some food going out of the food bank, which is great, which is what we want to do. But, but how many bags of food have there been delivered to Joe in the food bank over the last number of weeks? I'll tell you. Two or three. Two or three. One of our core values in Cornerstone Church is that we are radically generous. Simple question. How are we viewing the poor? And what are we doing for the poor? And then let me ask you another question as I ask myself it. Is our faith real? Is our faith real? I want to plead with you as I again put myself in this box because I am not good at it. I want to plead with us as a church. We can do better. We can do better. That's just, that's just it. We can do better. And let's try. Let's try to do better. And that brings us uh, sort of to the second point of today's sermon. In, in verse 18, James is going to say here, listen, you can talk about your faith all you want, but show me. Talk about it all you want, show me. He says, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith. How? By my works. So James is dealing with an objection here. He is, in essence, what the, what the objector is saying is this. Well, do you know what? I have the spiritual gift of faith. And you have the spiritual gift of good works. Go well. I'll, I'll sit in my wee comfort zone and I'll talk about my faith. I'll read books. I'll read, I'll, I'll read a bit of theology. I'll do my stuff. Uh, I have that gift. You go and you have the, you have the gift of, of, of good works. That's your thing. It's my thing. Let's, let's do that. No. James says, no. He says, show me your faith by the things that you do. It's a simple, clear message. Good works don't save us, but the good works that we perform flow out of lives that have been saved. That's what James wants to say to us. In other words, don't just tell me, show me your faith by your works, demonstrate the reality of it. In other words, talk's cheap. Talk's cheap. And I think for so many of us, again, so many of us, 
I think for us as believers, good works are like an additional add-on that we get to choose when we do and when we don't do them. It's not like that. James says it can't be like that. It's not some additional add-on. It is part of our life. Who we are. Our identity has been changed, and out of that identity comes good works to those around us. So James gives us, actually, a second example. He's trying to really push us here. So he gives us the example of the poor person. He says, poor person comes in. They say they need help. You just tell them to go on their way and be warm and be filled. And then he gives us this example, this second example, and he's really pressing on us now. And he's really going to press on us in our context. And he says there's another objection. You believe God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Who's he talking to? Who's James, uh, James talking to here? He's talking to Jews, right? Jews who have found Jesus. Jews who have come to Jesus. But think about the fact of what he's saying. He's saying, you believe that God is one. What is, what is the great Jewish profession of faith? It's this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's called monotheism. And Jews believe that the Lord is one. We as, believe, we as Christians believe that God is one. And James says this, well done you. Well done you. And James is looking at a person here. More or less, he's looking at a person and he's saying, do you know what? If you have all your theological ducks in a row, if you think all the right things, if you have your theology down and you think this and you think that and you learn that, and maybe even you read Calvin, maybe even you've, you've read parts of the Westminster Confession of Faith, you know who Martin Luther is. Well done you. Do you know how much that matters? If you don't do anything, nothing nothing. And it's like, he's like looking at this person who believes in one God and, and, and they're all proud because they believe in one God. And look at all the rest of the world religions. They believe in loads of gods. So I have this down. James is like, nope. Nope. James says, if that's where you are, and there is no demonstration of the reality of your faith. Your faith is on the same level. Let me say this. Just so I'm clear. James says, if that's you, and there is no demonstration of the reality of your faith, your faith is on the same level as that of demons. And he goes on to say, even the demons get it enough to shudder. It's like he's saying to this church, you don't even have the sense to do that. You believe that there's one God, and you don't even have the sense that the demons have to shudder at the fact that there is one God, and he will judge you. This lands very, very squarely in our Northern Ireland context, doesn't it? We live in a time where there's so many doctrinal debates, and doctrinal debates are good, they're needed. 
But if you're a person or if I'm a person who all I'm interested in is doctrine, and you have to have all your T's crossed and all your I's dotted, and all you can talk about, as I say, is the Westminster Confession of Faith, or you've read Calvin, or you've read such and such. But it isn't going out there and doing anything. Then our faith is on the same level as the demons. Again, this is a scary reminder that we can have all our theological ducks in a row and miss the point. Paul Tripp, uh, author, pastor, said this, we can have big theological heads and crusty, hard, dead hearts. Crusty, hard, dead hearts. Right. Let's pause for a wee moment. What I wanted to do today is put some arms and legs on this, as it were. And we're talking about we're, we're talking about uh, serving the poor, serving the needy, those who are in need around us. And a couple of things I want to say. One is this. If that's you, if you are in need, please tell us. Please tell us. We've just said there, like, we have an obligation as followers of Christ to the household of faith. And so if you're in here and you're struggling, please tell us. There is zero judgment for that here. None. Please tell us. Please tell us of people you know who are struggling. We, we, just, we just found out a couple of weeks ago of a, of a, of, of a guy who was struggling but we would never have known it. Only he told someone or if someone found out through it, please, if you know people who are struggling, let us know. We need to know. Second thing, sometimes you can agree with me or not. I give the first service a wee hint on how to do this. If you agree with me in anything I say all along the sermons, you can do that, all right? That's perfectly allowed, all right? Or if you don't agree, you can do that. All right. Yes, Ronnie. Anytime you want me. All right. But I, I'm going to put out a statement. Sometimes as believers, I think genuinely, right, we are, we're so busy with life that we just don't see the needs around us or don't see the opportunities to serve around us. Nobody agrees. All right. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's for you agree, Ronnie. That's the stuff. Right. Right, we are so busy that we just don't see opportunities, but they're out there. They are there in front of us, right? So what I want to do this morning is give us a wee bit of arms and legs. One of our members, Windsor Bell, is involved in the ark down in Newcastle. And so what I want to do, and what they do is, because he didn't do it in the first service, I'll do it in the second service, tell, him, tell you a wee bit about just what, who they serve. They serve the needy. That's it. End all. Needy people. Right? So what I want to do is let Windsor come up for a moment or two and just talk about uh, and give us an opportunity here and, and maybe potentially give us an opportunity to serve. All right? So Windsor, come on ahead. He said five minutes in the first service. Say no more. <laughs> If I said all the things I've written down to say, I'd be here the next hour. So I'd 
I'm not sure why I have the paper up with me, because I think it's sort of a comfort thing, <laughs> because I'm probably not going to read it. Um, <clears throat> our community gardens, I'm not, as I said in the first service, I'm not going to really tell you anything about it, because John, uh, we produced a, a video uh, a few months ago, and John Nixon is going to put it up on our Cornerstone app sometime today. Maybe is it up already, I'm not sure. Um, so it's really going to happen, but it, is a, it, is, it was a garden centre and we use it as a facility to help people. So uh, what I'm going to say, first of all, is our, our, the basis of our mission. And we have created a mission statement which tries to portray who we are and what we're about. A mission statement is basically something that an organisation puts together to say what they want to achieve and how they want to achieve it. And we try and say that in one sentence, which is sometimes difficult. But our, our mission statement states that we're there to demonstrate the love of God by following the example of Jesus. <clears throat> sounds simple. Sounds fairly self-explanatory. We want to show God's love. We want to follow the example of Jesus. It's not as easy done, maybe, as, as it sounds. And, of course, we're setting a very high bar at that, a bar that none of us will ever reach. But at least it's a good... We use it as a filter as we try to develop programs or whatever we're, we're trying to think through. We, we always try to go back to, does this demonstrate God's love? Is this uh, an example of what the way Jesus would, would do something? So that's all I'm going to say. I, I really want to talk more about our volunteers, and I'll try and not break any confidentiality rules. But uh, the one thing that has struck me when I started to put this sort of together was the variety of the volunteers that we have. And I must stress that we call everyone a volunteer. There is no such thing as a, a client or a participant. Everyone's a volunteer. And the reason for that is everybody serves. Everyone that comes in, they're there to serve. They might need help. They mightn't have great abilities. But that's, that's the reason they're there. We probably have somewhere in the region of 60-plus regular volunteers. And the thing about that is the vast majority of those volunteers come in every week. We could have, we probably have 30, 40 to 50 volunteers in through the gates every week. Um, the other variation we have is in their uh, abilities. They stretch from fully functional sensible people like myself <laughs> who uh, just are there to serve. There's some Christians, there's some non-Christians, um, and they're just there to, to simply serve others. Uh, a lot, quite a few people have come in over the years needing, needing some help, needing have issues in their life that they needed help and support through, and very quickly they become so attached to us that they then became the people who are serving and serving others, which is lovely to see. We have people from practically day one, four or five years. We have people who are still coming in week by week uh, and serving. The other variation then, again, is in the, um, just the, the, range, the, the range of those abilities. Uh, we would have quite a few younger people. Now, not when I say younger people, we don't work with under 18-year-olds unless they come with a car, but they're basically all 18 
18 till 80 plus, to be honest. That, that is the, range of, the age range that we, that we work with. And uh, quite a few younger people who come in, some of them come in with their care, their parent or that, because they're, they're not well enough to uh, work on their own. And one of the things that we find from that is it's not always just to help the person with a disability. A lot of our therapeutic work, uh, whatever you want to call it, is around the care who is working, who has to live day, day in and day out with uh, people who have quite stressful mental, mental issues. We have people with uh, physical disabilities. We have one, one chap and he's a quite, quite bad cerebral palsy. Uh, not good at the walking, not good at the talking and that sort of thing. But on, on Thursday I met him with a wheelbarrow struggling along and it's just lovely to see that. We have, we have families, we have um, three brothers come in uh, who would be very much not the mental age that they are. They're, they'd be in their 20s but they wouldn't be at that mental age. And uh, they just work together and they're so lovable to watch who they are. Um, probably the three of them put together does about the work of one person. And one will, one will load the wheelbarrow, the other will carry it, another will walk behind carrying the shovel. And, but they work away like beavers every day. And they, just, they just enjoy it. And they have so many abilities. And we've, they've been given responsibilities in that and, and they step up to the mark. But their mother comes in as well. She quite often comes in when she's free and serves religiously as well. So there's such a diverse people, and that's what I want to get across. You know, as I say, we have 60 plus, we have 40, 50 in every week. There is no end to the need that's out there, folks. We can do with help, we can do with people, we can do with finances as well, where we could maybe pay more staff. Uh, we, none of us are trained, we're all just simply people who want to walk alongside, create a community where people feel safe, where people feel valued, where they can express themselves openly. And uh, that's just what we try to do, folks. And uh, it's just about serving. And I did say at the start of the service, at the start of the other service, that I feel a bit guilty coming up here under what's the auspice of what John has been speaking about today because it's not about me, folks. It's about the people we need to serve. Thanks, Ben. Uh, Windsor summed it up really well there in the fact that he said, look, the need is there. And, and, that, and that's just what we wanted to really get across this morning is that the needs are there. Uh, and it's not a competition, but he did get some volunteers out of the first service, and what are you saying? Uh, but the needs are there. They're right in front of us, often right in front of us. Needy people in every area of life, materially, mentally, emotionally, whatever it may be, needy, needy people. They're all around us. And that's what James is trying to get across here. How are we serving those people? How are we looking after those people? Where is Jesus in all of this? Is this just a passage? Is this just another passage where James is, is giving us a good uh, rebuking and, and telling us off? 
Or where is Christ and where is the gospel in this? Well, Jesus is, is right in the middle of this passage. Because like everything else that Jesus did, he was the perfect example of what it is to have faith. He's the perfect example of what it is to have genuine faith. When you read the Gospels, when you see Jesus' ministry, you'll see all throughout it, doctrine and works, saying and doing, preaching and good deeds. No one ever approached Jesus and was turned away. Never. There wasn't a need that was brought to Jesus that went left unmet. Whether that was food, whether that was healing, whether that was salvation, he always met the need. And he's the example that we follow. As Windsor says, it's a high bar. But that shouldn't stop us from trying to follow him. It is a high bar. Jesus is definitely not saying, I want to reiterate this, Jesus is not saying we're saved by our good works. But he is saying that if works are lacking or non-existent, then we should really, really question our faith. Jesus spoke and acted, especially when it came to salvation. Jesus talked about giving himself for us. Jesus told the disciples that he was going to go to the cross and he was going to die for sinners. And then he went and did it. He followed through. He is the perfect example of both saying and doing. And where does this leave us? So that's Christ. Christ here. He's our perfect example. But what, what, what do we do with this? Because if you're like me and you, and you come to this passage, and, and I've been in this passage this week and, and the one before it and the one next week, uh, and if you're like me, you, it'll land heavy. It'll land heavy, and you might be questioning, what's this all about? What am I doing? What am I not doing? Have I got faith? Have I not got faith? Uh, and, your, and your assurance may be, you may be struggling with your assurance. But what I want, what I, what I want our response to be is not that. What I, what, I, what I would like our response to be is this. I would like our response as individuals and as a church to come with open hands to Jesus. Simple as that. Is to come with open hands to Jesus and say, take it all. Whatever it might be, it might be your time, it might be your finances, it may be your gifting, whatever it may be, I want us to come and just open hands and say, do with it what you will. You do it. And I know for a fact, and you know for a fact, that when we pray, when we pray that prayer, He will answer us. And He'll give us stuff to do, and He'll show us people who are in need, and we will be given opportunities to serve. So that's all I'm asking today, is that we come to Jesus with open hands and say, take it all. What do you want me to do? Who do you want me to serve? What do you want me to give? That's it. Have we real faith? Or are we just playing church? Let me pray. Father, uh, thank you for your word.
Again, it challenges us, it leads us, it, uh, it illuminates who you are and shows us uh, what you have required. And Father, I pray that through the Spirit you would move this morning. You would move in our hearts and our lives. You would show us what you want us to do, how you want us to serve, who you want us to be with, all of these things. Show us, Lord. We need your help. We ask it in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. So as we come to respond,